0: on this week's problematic women we continue our series of conversations with women we admire the problematic role models as we like to call them and today we have in studio the one and only Genevieve Wood welcome Genevieve it's great to be here and it's great to be admired that's so nice (laughs) thank you (laughs) we have lots of nice things to say Genevieve is the leading voice of the Heritage Foundation serving as the organization's spokesperson and senior advisor She's had many roles in policy and media, interviewed countless politicians and notable people, is a familiar face on Fox, CNN, and MSNBC, and just a really great colleague that Virginia and I look up to. So welcome to Problematic Women. I'm Lauren Evans, and I'm here with my co-host, Virginia Allen.
1: So excited to be here, Lauren. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news and find stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women. Those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women,
0: please consider supporting us by leaving a review or rating on iTunes and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference.
1: Genevieve, let's dive right in. You know, Your office is right next to mine, and we see each other all the time. We talk all the time. But as we were preparing for this conversation, I realized that there's some very important things that I don't know about you. So the first question that I would love to ask and find out the answer to is, what did you want to be when you grew up, when you were a little girl? Wow, that's a great question.
2: Um, well, I probably went through, like many people, a whole bunch of things. I wanted to be a veterinarian at one point and then realized I was allergic to animal hair so that it wasn't <laughs> going to work out so well. Uh, then maybe thought I'd be a lawyer. But along the way, I think I, I really early on identified with news programs and I grew up watching the Today Show back when it was a news program and I thought this woman named Jane Pauly had a great job and I was like wow I'd love to do something like that one day so I think early on I kind of knew I wanted to do something in the broadcasting arena but more in that focused kind of in news and politics.
1: That's amazing that you knew so young that you wanted (laughs) to do something so similar to what you're doing now.
2: Well I had parents who were very active in the political arena locally. They were active in, in local and in state politics, my dad was a history teacher, college professor. And so we would often uh, discuss history and world events. And I also grew up with him talking back to Dan Rather on the television uh, every <laughs> evening. So or I, I kind of got educated early on and uh, but caught the caught the bug for it.
1: And where did you go to school and what did
2: you study? So I originally went to Baylor University, which is in Texas, uh, but ended up transferring to the College of Charleston in South Carolina, beautiful town, Charleston. And I majored in history because they didn't have a journalism major, which now looking back, I'm actually thankful for. Uh, So I majored in history, but I ended up being the editor of the student newspaper. And that's really kind of where I got my, you know, the the actual true experience, you need not the classroom experience, but the real experience of what it's like to work in the journalism arena.
0: So you mentioned the Today Show, and after college, you were an NBC page for a little bit. Can you tell us what that experience was like? It was a
2: great experience. Um, For people who aren't familiar with the page program, love to share the the factoid that it's harder to get in as an NBC page than it is to get in at Harvard. That's my claim to fame. (laughs) Um, But yeah, people from all over the country, you have to graduate from college, you apply for it, and it gives you the opportunity to work all around the network. I mean, you give tours of the network. So anybody who's ever been to 30 Rockefeller Plaza and taken a tour of NBC, studios it was a page who gave you that tour um, but it just it gives you an inside look at not just the news and everything you see on TV but the business side of it and the, and the like but for me it was a really an eye-opener um, in terms of just kind of the people that make up a network and make up the business and not surprisingly uh, there were not a lot of conservatives running around the halls of of, of NBC but you know I, I think what I really learned from that, though, was it wasn't that every day people got up on the Today, who worked on the Today Show or NBC Nightly News or Meet the Press, all these programs that people know. They don't get up every day and go, how do we go after conservatives? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but the problem is there are no conservatives working there. And so they just talk to each other. They only know each other. And they really don't know a real conservative in many cases, and why people believe on on the conservative side, why they believe what they
0: believe. And that, that unfortunately shapes much of their coverage. So how after the NBC page program did you end up in Washington, D.C.? So I went through the
2: 1992 election cycle with uh, the NBC News crew, and that was the year that Bill Clinton was elected. And I remember the night of the election itself and standing there watching a lot of the producers high-fiving the- themselves at the commercial breaks <laughs> and thinking, you know, I can continue to work here. It's been a fun job, a great job. and But, you know, promoting shows and talent. When I say talent, I mean the anchors and so forth that really aren't giving the news that I really want to give. Or I can take what I've learned here and go hopefully help a cause, a person, an issue set that I believe in and try to give my skill set to that. So that led me to looking to D.C. uh,
1: and that's when I moved here. So then what was that journey from from landing here in D.C. to now being at the Heritage Foundation? sure well it's funny because now being in heritage
2: when I first came to DC I I went to work for uh, an organization called National Empowerment Television it no longer exists but it was kind of the the pre-Fox if you will it had a lot less money (laughs) the budget was much smaller (laughs) but we did many of the same things it was funny when you saw Fox and MSNBC come on the air like a year or two later you could tell they had been watching what we were doing just based on some of the things they did which was kind (laughs) of cool but I mean this was back Kellyanne Conway was one of our guests a regular guest on the show um are on the, the, the network. A lot of the faces that you see today in the conservative movement, I would say, first got their training at, at National Empowerment Television. But the man who, who launched that, his name was Paul Weyrich. And Paul Weyrich was also one of the founders of the Heritage Foundation. So I feel like I've kind of come come full circle. But I did that, got into that arena. Um, that's where I started doing mostly on-air type of, type of work. It was there for five years. And then that led into a lot of um, other communications-related jobs uh, across the conservative
0: movement. So what does being a spokesperson and a senior advisor actually entail?
2: Well, you know, I'm really fortunate to be at Heritage because there's a lot of organizations that aren't, um, they don't have enough of that work going on to really make that a full-time job. But as, as you all know, I mean, we cover the gamut of issues. And a lot of times when, whether it's a radio show, a TV show, they're often looking for somebody who can talk about more than one issue. So while we have healthcare experts, foreign policy experts, immigration experts, they're really experts in that one that one field. So I end up usually doing interviews where people are kind of wanting to cover the day of news. Uh, they want to cover multiple topics and And it's not just what people see on air like CNN and Fox. It's also a lot of events and conferences around the country where we're reaching um both conservatives but also people that are that are open minded and trying to explain to them why we believe what we believe. Um and that's a great privilege to be able to kind of not kind of but to take issues that we know impact people's daily lives and really help them understand why it's important to them because, you know, it's it's easy to tune out Washington. We all understand why many people want to tune out (laughs) Washington, but having the ability to say, you know, here's why you should actually really care about this. Here's why it's going to affect somebody either yourself or somebody you care about. That's, um, that's a great privilege.
1: And Genevieve, you have been on all the major networks and even Bill Maher's show can you walk us through just what all is entailed in, in doing a hit and in the prep work mm-hmm. and then, you know, whether you go there, getting ready for it, so on and so forth? Sure. Um, well, I mean, you know, every show's is different, uh, but a lot of times I think people think,
2: oh, you're booked way in advance. And for some shows like Bill Maher's show, you they do book like a month in advance. And usually you get the topics a little closer to date. But for many of the shows that that I do and our other analysts do, They call you that morning and say, hey, we'd love you to come on at three o'clock or could you come on at four o'clock or whatever it happens to be. Here's the topic. And, of course, sometimes you get there and the topic has changed on you. But what I try to do is and encourage others here that, that we work with in terms of like media training and that and thinking about how to do an interview is to sit back and really take the time. To say, what is it that's most important for the people watching this to know or listening to this to know? Because, again, you, you name the topic. There's a zillion things happening related to it. And it's very easy to kind of get caught in the weeds. But taking that time to think if the other person's thinking, what what part of this issue do they really need to know and trying to drive the, the interview in that direction? So I know it's frustrating sometimes. And many people listening to this say, I hate it when people don't answer the questions that the host asks. Sometimes a host doesn't ask the right questions. Um, now, sometimes you're just trying to avoid the question because you don't like it. But <laughs> I, I usually it's because I think, you know, if you're the expert guest who's on, they've asked you on because supposedly you know what's important about that subject matter. And so I feel like it's an obligation to the audience to try to get across the most important points.
1: And you are a Christian. You're very open about your faith. So how, how does your faith impact, uh, you know, your career choices and and those decisions day to day, even as you're on air relaying, you know, policy? Yeah,
2: well, I mean, it certainly impacts what I believe in terms of, of policies. And that's not to say that all Christians have to think exactly alike, but I do it. My faith does influence what I think about policy issues. Um, but I think much of it um, is really about your demeanor. Uh, Because when you when you do say that you're a Christian, you know, you're representing the Christian faith, you're representing Jesus Christ. And you try to think about, well, how would he talk about this issue or how would he talk about it with someone else? And especially in I think this period that we're in, uh, it's a bit feisty at times. You really have to watch yourself or you can get caught up just trying to win the debate as opposed to being winsome, I would say, in the debate. Um, So I think that's probably the, the biggest thing that I think about right now.
0: So I want to pivot just a little bit and talk about some of the highlights of your career so far. You mentioned a few, Kellyanne Conway, but who are some of the notable folks that you've worked with? Oh, that's a good question. Um, Well, I mean,
2: so you have someone like Kellyanne at the White House who I've known, I guess, since like 2000. No, since like 1993. Wow, that goes way back, (laughs) (laughs) way back. Um, But even like people like Nora O'Donnell, who is not necessarily conservative, who's now the anchor of the CBS Evening News. She used to be on a show that I hosted on NET. So that was kind of fun. So you had both, both sides of the spectrum. Um, Tom Fitton who's the president of Judicial Watch I'm sure many of the listeners out there probably see Tom on the air he was also on that that program Um, but even outside of that space I mean you know, I, I've had the great privilege of of meeting people like President Bush. Um, I actually got to go to the, the inauguration for his second inauguration in writing, and uh, the uh, motorcade with him because of my my date, who was very active in the inaugural uh, committee. There, that was a really fun time. Um, it's the only time I've got to go up Washington streets. The wrong way. <laughs> it's amazing how fast you can get across town when you have police escorts, and you can go any direction you want. It's really, yeah. really cool. Um, I mean, I, you know, I, countless members of Congress and secretary cabinet secretaries, governors that have, that have made their way through here over the years, journalists that I've had the privilege to interview. So there's a lot of folks.
1: And out of all of the interviews, oh, that it you've is always done. the question. <laughs> Do you have maybe three that just stand out as being the most memorable? Oh, my goodness. Um,
2: well, I will say, I mean, I, not in, this is not in terms of like a one-on-one interview, but for example, when I've done like, say, Bill Maher's show and you get the opportunity to be on with one time I was on with uh, Terry Bradshaw. If you're a football fan like I am, that was kind of cool, even though he was on the wrong team. Uh, <laughs> but Adam West, for people who remember Batman, Adam West was the voice of and, and was Batman. I was on other guests on political, for example, Michael Moore. Um So it's it's I have the most fun when you're talking with people who don't actually 100 percent agree with you, because if it's an interview of like, you're right. No, you're more right. <laughs> <laughs> there are just times where like, that's kind of boring. Um But finding somebody who you can kind of have a little bit of a back and forth with that doesn't get out of control, you still have a, a, a good conversation. I think that's when you learn the most on both sides. And I think that's actually the most interesting for the audience. So I'd have to say it's when I've been on with folks like that, that, like I said, are not necessarily David Axelrod. I also met him on Politically Incorrect or Bill Marshall, I should say. Um, and those were those are some of the best interviews.
0: So what's one interview that you might not have done that you would love to do in the future?
2: Of course, I'd love to sit down with President Trump. I mean, Mr. T, as I call him. <laughs> uh, I would I'd love to interview him because I just find uh, – not just because I like some of the things or a lot of the things that, he, that he's been doing as president, but I just – how he has changed single-handedly the way this town works. And I know some people go, oh, yeah, it's just great – he really shook it up. And frankly, somebody myself who's been here since 19 end of 1993, I thought we needed somebody to shake it up. And so I, I have found that very refreshing. And I just I don't know. I would just love to talk to you more about that.
0: So what is your coolest? You mentioned being in the limousine with President Bush on Inauguration Day. And so that's honestly what I was thinking about when I wrote this question. But what is your coolest D.C. story?
2: Wow. Well, I mean, I, it'd be hard to top that whole inaugural week. You huh. kind of felt like Forrest Gump. Um, I mean, I got to dance on stage with the president at an inaugural ball. I was totally bizarre. So, so cool. You know, running through the back of, of like, you know, when you see presidents come out like onto a stage, and many people may not know this, but they're often brought in the hotel the back way. They go through the kitchen and all, because of security and the like. And so being part of that honorage running through the kitchens of the Washington Hilton and others with President Bush in the front, come on everybody. Uh, was a really yeah, it was kind of a surreal experience that was fun.
1: That is really cool. Wow. (laughs) Now you live in a in a notably liberal part of the city. There's not many conservatives. I was gonna say that's not
2: exactly notable because I think is there is there one conservative area in Washington?
1: (laughs) (laughs) A little conservative section. No, there isn't, sadly. But what do you, what do people say and how do people respond when you tell them I work at the Heritage Foundation and, and this is what I do?
2: Well, it's funny, when I I moved into the the apartment that I the condo that I have now, uh, I wasn't working at Heritage. I was working for an organization called the Family Research Council. And this is when uh, the real debate over over same-sex marriage was really getting started, and FRC Family Research Council was very uh, upfront in that debate opposing same-sex marriage. And I did a lot of television based around that. And the area that I moved into was a very gay neighborhood and, and area. And so when I moved in, I people said, "What do you do?" I didn't go, "Oh, I work at the Family <laughs> Research Council." Uh, immediately, I thought, "Let's try," you know, "Let's try to to become neighbors before you know everything that I do." But it didn't take long uh, before I came home one day and a neighbor said, I heard you this morning on the radio. I was like, oh, really? What was I talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Knowing exactly where this was headed. Um, And you know what was interesting was that there were a few people that went from being friendly to as soon as they like saw me on something like the Today. I knew if I was doing Fox, they'd never see it. But if I was doing MSNBC and they would, and eventually they did. And you went to people that just like, automatically just quit talking to you. Um, And that was really a bizarre kind of thing. But you know what? Over time, um, what happened was I got... I think they voted for me because they thought it was punishment. They made me the president of our condo association. (laughs) I was not there for the meeting, so therefore I got voted in. But, you know, that was one of the best things that ever happened because then people had to deal with you. You know, neighbors had to talk to you because there were things going on, right? And it just eventually over not even that long a period of time, I think it, it, we just built up the fact that, hey, we're neighbors and we help each other out on a lot of things that have nothing to do with what do you believe on this political issue or that public policy issue? And um, and again, it's also been an area that's helped me understand why other people think what they think. Um, not living next to people that just, you know, I get to work in a building every day where most of the people I work with agree with me on, you know, 95 percent of things. So this has given me a different perspective of understanding why others believe what they believe, uh, how they perceive my position, how they perceive people like me that have that position. Um, Because sometimes I think if you know what other people think about you and maybe it's not good, you can you work harder to go out of your way to change it or to help them see a different side. Um, And I've had to practice that quite a bit.
0: So you've lived in D.C. since Bill Clinton was president. Now we have Donald Trump as president. What's it been like seeing the town change throughout those years?
2: Yeah. Well, you know, when I, when I moved here, um, Bill Clinton was president. and uh, But it was also I was here for the 94 election cycle, which is when Republicans won the House for the first time in over 40 years. And people forget now because I think they think today is such a big change. That was a huge change. I mean, for the Republicans to have control of Congress was huge, the House. Uh, and then, of course, we went right into the impeachment of Bill Clinton, which at that time was very historic because we hadn't had that had that in a while. And it was a different type of impeachment just based on the story itself. Um, so there's... You know, there really have been no boring times. I hate, and, and some of them have been sad. I mean, we're here. You know, I lived at the time of nine eleven. I lived in Crystal City, Virginia, which, for those who don't know, is very close to the Pentagon. And I remember coming home that night and seeing the Pentagon up in smoke, and for at least two to three days, smelling that debris um, mm-hmm. over the that period. Um, and then you know, you fast forward to today. So it's there's always a, a, a unique. You know, I feel like being in D.C., you you experience parts of the the country's history in a unique way, both good and bad.
1: Genevieve, what would your advice be to other young women who have a real interest in pursuing a career in the media?
2: Hmm. Well, I think no matter what you frankly want to pursue, I think it's really good to try to get. An, an internship very early on in that that uh, that space, because sometimes you think you really want to do something and then you get there and you're like, you know, this isn't exactly what I thought it was. And when I was in college, I actually did an internship on the Hill. It was a great internship. It was uh, the last summer that Jack Kemp, uh, who was my one of my political heroes, was a member of Congress and he was a really a national figure. So I wasn't, I got to be the press intern. So I got to do a lot of cool things that... Frankly, many run-of-the-mill interns don't get to do, and yet I realize, you know what? I don't. I don't really want to work on Capitol Hill, and I don't. Had I not done that, I think one of the first jobs I would have tried to gotten in D.C. after getting out of college was on Capitol Hill. Um, so I really I just encourage people to to try to, you know, whether it's in college as an internship or when you first get out, try to get some upfront experience and make sure that is what you think you want to do, um, and don't feel bad if it's not, because you'll find that you'll find the next thing. Um, the other is, I, I think in the media, I mean, so much of it's just, you know, it's very different now than when I went into it. There wasn't the internet, believe it or not, <laughs> and all the social media types of things that, that you have today. But I think finding your niche, and, you know, I think if you're honest with yourself, you'll find, like, would I be a better on-air person? Many people think that's exactly what they want to do. Um, but, you know, knowing how many different pieces make up something called the media and how... Individual jobs within that are influential. um, Just finding the one that you're really good at and
0: and really pursuing that, I think, is important. So most people will say this, but I'll back you up that you have a really, really cool mom, Melba, (laughs) and you remain really close with her. Yeah. How do you keep up that relationship, even though you are so far away?
2: Well, I visit fairly often, and she visits. Um, no, I am close to my parents. You know, I, I'm very blessed that we share, you know, we're my family are Christian. My parents are Christians. Um, we share political views so we don't have the fights at Thanksgiving that everybody else <laughs> talks about. Um, and I realize that really does make a difference. Uh, my sister, the same thing, so that's that's been great. Um, but I just, you know, we, we talk regularly. Um, and, my, you know, I'm single, so I think that's made it easier in some ways for me to— kind of not say drop things, but visit maybe more often than if I had a a whole family that I always had to take with me or or to make sure that they were taken care of. And my parents visit a lot. So I I think that's a big thing is just um, not always having to have big things to go do together, but just the kind of
0: run of the mill, not just
2: holidays, but just sharing weekends.
0: And I've talked to her so much about how she is so proud of you and what you do. But what would you think is the one thing that she's the most proud of?
2: I think that she would. Well, I know she would say that she would be thankful that I was a Christian. That you know that I had a strong faith. Um, They, you know, they love that I went into a business that they get to see me even when I'm not at home, so they can watch me on TV or (laughs) watch videos (laughs) or click links. They love all that. Um, So I think that's they've they've loved that part of it too. Um, And like I said, they love they love politics. I mean, my dad used to get publications from the Heritage Foundation when I was a kid. (laughs) So um, they they like the fact that they can come here and come to conferences and all that kind of good stuff.
1: And it is that time of year, my favorite time of year, Christmas time. So do you have any special traditions that you look forward Mm. to every Christmas?
2: We, you know, my family we often traveled over the holidays because my dad was a college professor, and my mom was a teacher, and so that was the time of year that they had like two weeks to a month off, and we would often. So yes, we had traditions, but some of our traditions was like going on trips. Um, but the the main traditions we have, I think, are probably like many families. And there are certain foods that we always have on Christmas Eve, and certain things that we always, you know, have on Christmas, uh, Christmas morning, um, and some of the of our. Tradition, I guess, would change over the years since my sister, I now have four nephews. So they've added to the, to the mix there. But our Christmas is pretty traditional.
1: That's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Traditional <laughs> yeah. Christmas yeah. is <laughs> lovely. <Yeah. laughs>
0: All right. With that, we're going to take a quick break. But when we're back, we have some more questions right. for Genevieve.
1: Looking for a short morning podcast to give you the news of the day without liberal bias? The Daily Signal podcast is a rundown of the top stories you need to know that the mainstream media is probably ignoring. Welcome back. It's now time to crown our problematic woman of the week. And this week, she is none other than Genevieve Wood. (laughs) Genevieve, congratulations. Thank you. So, to celebrate Do I get a real crown? You do. (laughs) (laughs) We'll make one.
0: So to celebrate this, I want to discuss my two favorite F words, feminism and football. So let's start with football. Genevieve, you're one of the only people in the building who loves the sport as much as I do. And I want to know, where did your love for the game come from?
2: You know, I honestly don't remember the first football game I watched. Well, I am from Texas. And I will say as a kid, you know, that when people go, "Is did you really go to football games on Friday nights, like all the movies mm-hmm. and things mm-hmm. Yes, we did. Like when we were little kids, my parents we'd go to McDonald's, get the takeout, go to the high school football game. Um, so I did grow up doing that. But yeah, I from just a very early age would get the beanbag out, get my Dallas Cowboy helmet, put it on, <laughs> and watch the games. Um, and I would love to tell you that I've matured and like not being depressed when my teams don't win. I've gotten a little better. I don't. Cry no. as much, but um, yeah, no. It's just it's something I've always loved. But the emotion—that's what makes it. Oh, totally. Yeah, <laughs> and the, the love hate. I mean, like people—they're like when you say you hate a team, I'm like, yeah, I hate that <laughs> team. <laughs> Doesn't mean the individual people. But yeah, there there's some passion. Yeah, there. you see that jersey on the street, and you're like, <laughs> oh man. <laughs> I gotta say, I mean, being a Cowboys fan and living in Washington has been awesome because. Cowboy Redskins was always the big, you know, rivalry that the Redskins are so horrible. It's hardly a rivalry anymore. I shouldn't say much. We're not doing
1: so great this year ourselves. But um, no, it's 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 a great sport. I love watching you all get so excited about football. It's great. Like, I like football, but like, yeah, you all are you all are next level. I, I did get Genevieve in a
0: video a couple of years ago when UCF. One, a rightful national championship to have the hat in a video about football. That That was probably one of my highlights at Heritage. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, there is often drama around football. Um, So we want to talk about one of those current situations. So NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell made headlines last week when he said the NFL must move on from former 49ers quarterback and social justice warrior Colin Kaepernick. This is in response to a November workout the NFL invited Kaepernick to participate in that would be closed to the press, but would have scouts from every NFL team. Kaepernick agreed, but pressed for the event to be open up to the media. And the NFL, though, held their ground and did not oblige Kaepernick's demands. So last minute, Kaepernick decided to hold his own event that would be open to the press, but was held at a high school an hour away from the original Atlanta location. And due to the last-minute change in location, only eight of the 25 NFL teams that planned to attend actually came to the event. So uh, his his last game that Kaepernick played was all the way back in 2016, And yet the saga really keeps continuing with Kaepernick. So, Genevieve, how does this affect the way that you feel about the NFL?
2: Well, I I mean, I just wish the NFL commissioner had maybe come to this idea sooner. (laughs) You know, maybe it's time to move on. Uh, Look, I mean, Colin Kaepernick... Look, he's certainly a better football player than that I am and better than most people in the country. He would have never made the NFL in the first place. But he's not the greatest of all time. And, you know, he, I think, became much more known for his social justice activism than he did for his football ability. And look, if, if many of the teams out there, every team wants to win. If there was a team out there that thought he was going to get them to the playoffs, even, you know, with he brought a lot of baggage with him, but if they thought he was super talented, I think they would have shown up for that for that tryout. But the reality is he made it hard for them. I think, frankly, many people were showing up to do him a favor. The fact that 25, I think, teams were going to have scouts there, I think they did it just to say, look, we're giving you a chance. But then he made it hard for people to do that, and it kind of starts making everybody question, A, do you really want to play or you just want to use this platform? And two... Why do we want trouble on our team? We always already have one or two players that we are, you know, are getting in trouble for this and that, causes PR problems. Why do we want this guy who, you know, wears socks with pigs on them, dressed as police, uh, that then you've got to go answer for the comments that he makes? You know, we've seen what he's done with, with his Nike platform. I think most teams, most owners of teams, realize that is not where the NFL fan base is. They don't want, they want people to play football. They don't want to watch football and have to deal with politics. And that's what he brought to the game, unfortunately.
0: And so, Genevieve, I also wanted to bring up college football, which you also are a big fan of. One of the best parts of New Year's and the celebration is the college football playoff. This year it's LSU versus Oklahoma and Ohio State versus Clemson. Do you have any predictions? (laughs)
2: Uh, So I basically, I really don't have a good dog in this fight because none of my teams are really in it. Uh, But I have a brother-in-law and four nephews that if I don't root for LSU, uh, (laughs) it's not going to be a good Christmas. (laughs) So I'm going to LSU uh, all the way. But yeah, look, I think it's going to be interesting. I think LSU will likely beat Oklahoma. Uh, I would love to see Clemson beat Ohio State just because. Um, but, you know, I, what I would really love to see is for them to expand these playoffs and that we would get out of just only four teams can be in it. I think we ought to go to eight. I would love to just, you know, I, I get the old system. Maybe wasn't perfect. I was somebody who wanted a playoff system in college football, but they it's too limited and there are too many good teams that I think get left out.
0: Yeah. Every conference champion should be able to play in the playoff.
2: Yeah, every year there's always like there's one team that should have been there that isn't, you know. And, you know, look, like I said, none of my teams are in it, so I can make the case for all of them. Well, not all of them, but a few. Um, But, yeah, I I don't know anybody except maybe Alabama, though this year they're not in it either. Uh, There's a few select teams that, you know, year after year seem to be in it, but for many teams, and I think for the fan base, it's, it's more interesting when it's not always the same two or three teams in the championship. And, you know, it'd be nice to give some of those other teams a national spotlight if they're well deserving and i think like i said i just think having limiting it limiting limiting it to four uh is is too limiting
1: all right i'm going to reel this conversation back in and away from football why (laughs) (laughs) sorry all right Genevieve. last question before you go this is something we love to ask all of our guests that come on the show do you consider yourself a feminist why or why not No. (laughs) Uh, And the reason is, is just because when I was
2: growing up, I did not identify with the people who called themselves feminists and Mm -hmm. that many of those were the glorious synonyms. I mean, they're older than I am, but they're you know, they were the kind of the, the pictures of that. And I know it's changed over the years and what have you. I just you know, I think men and women should be treated equal. Yes, I think men and women are equal. Yes. But I think men and women are also different. And that's just the way I see the world. I don't want really to put labels on everything. Um, you know, if a woman is a, is great at a job and is a better hire than a guy, then, yeah, she ought to get hired. But that's not being a feminist. That's just hiring the best person. Um, so, yeah, I you know, I think all these labels, it depends on how you define the label and and who's, uh, who's identifying with it at the time.
0: Awesome. Well, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much, Genevieve, for coming on. Thank you all for having me. And that's going to be it for this week's edition of Problematic Women.
1: We have some very exciting news to share with you, though. Next week, we're going to be recording a live episode at the Turning Point Student Activism Summit in West Palm Beach, Florida. Join us as we talk sex, feminism, and socialism with Morgan Zenger, founder of Young Americans Against Socialism. If you're there, please stop by the Daily Signal booth and say hello. And as
0: always, conservatives need your support in the podcast world, and we would greatly appreciate a five-star review on Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does make a difference.
1: Have a great week. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal produced by Kelsey Bowler, Lauren Evans, and Virginia Allen. Special thanks to our editor-in-chief, Katrina Trinko. We produce problematic women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.